Dear brothers and sisters, in the last few chapels of this semester, we've heard what our calling is as we are headed towards various ministries within the church and in our various settings of calling that God has given to us in the kingdom. We have been reminded of the qualifications for those who are called to such offices, but the reality is that we live in a broken and fallen world. We recognize that in our members, in the people we associate with, we only need to turn to the news and realize that our culture is living for itself and for fleshly desires. We live in a broken world, and that world in which we live will have its effect also in our own lives as well. The other day, as I was contemplating what to bring, thinking about various possibilities, I I met with a retired minister from a local church in which I was preaching, and he was just sharing with me some past experiences he had. He had been trained at a uh, conservative reform seminary back in the 60s or so, and he said there was one thing I remember from my practical theology professor. It was probably the only thing he said that was good, and I was all ears when he said, what was it? He said, well, one day he came into class and he said, one in three of you are going to fall in the ministry. And if you think it's not going to be you, it's probably going to be you. And this pastor said with reflection, he says, I've looked over my classmates. This has been a number of years ago, of course. And he said the professor was right. And so the calling that I want to set before you today is in light of this reality that we face a world in which we will be laboring, that we ourselves need to be watchful. I'm thinking also of those men whom God has used mightily, in the world, Ravi Zacharias, you may have heard, of course, of him and what's happened about his life, even to its, its end, sadly. And the name of Christ is blasphemed. And the good that such a man has ever done is really minimized and immediately tarnished. And Christ himself and the gospel is brought into question. But there's others, too, of course, who have been affected by the fall of these men the women who have been crippled and whose lives are marred by those who've taken advantage of their position and power and privilege. You know, many times we hear about the gospel, and we need to hear it every day. And it's a message that frees us. But the gospel also includes the message of Christ's lordship. You may have heard of the controversies in the 1980s regarding that, but this message isn't necessarily about the Lordship of Christ, but it is about how the Lordship of Christ is over our lives, including our bodies. And so I want to look at this passage that's before us this morning, the last part of 19 and and verse 20. And you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our theme is bought, so glorify God in your body. We're going to look at three things, God helping us. The price paid that Paul sets before us here, 
the purchase that was made, and then the purpose which he gives us to glorify God in our bodies. In our text, what Paul is highlighting here, and a truth that needs to be heard, especially in our day, is indeed that Christ is Lord. And he is highlighting that here with the Corinthians, and it is applicable to us today who live in our culture as the Corinthians lived in theirs. And it's this, you don't belong, I don't belong to myself. And that's really where our Heidelberg Catechism begins as well. We have been bought with such a great price, we are no longer our own, we've been bought body and soul. Paul is reminding the Corinthians, I believe, in this particular way in which he constructs this passage, that you used to be belonging to someone else. So he's reminding them, you are no longer your own because you've been purchased. You used to belong to someone else. But you have come to Jesus Christ by faith. Previous to this, you've lived as if you were Lord and Master. You were in bondage to sin and corruption. But now you have been set at liberty. Paul understands that those who are called out of darkness to one degree or another have been enslaved in various sins and various bondages in their past. And Paul is saying it's through the foolishness of the gospel preaching and of the cross that we have come to experience the power and the wisdom of God. And how, how then is Paul able to say that we now longer, no longer belong to ourselves? Well, how is this possible that we can now belong again to God? And he's highlighting it here in this price. Later in 2 Corinthians, he's going to use this uh, expression that we're all familiar with in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the Apostle Peter tells us in 1, uh, 1 Peter 1, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You were bought, Paul says. You have been purchased. You didn't earn this salvation. You weren't even seeking it. And he found us as those who were gone astray, and he paid a price to redeem and to bring us back to God. That's what he's going to go on to say in that same passage in 2 Corinthians 5 when he speaks about the message of reconciliation of which he had been made an ambassador. And so the work that we are being called to is to be ambassadors for Christ, that God is in the world reconciling having purchased back to himself a bride. And that is not only to save them, but to purify them. You were once in chains, Paul is saying, but the gospel has set you free. You were once in bondage to sin, and now you've been set at liberty. You've been restored. You've been reconciled as sons and daughters of God. 
But he's highlighting here, never forget the price that was paid. The precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that is able to cleanse and reconcile the greatest sinner to himself. And brothers, if we're faithful in our calling, we recognize ourselves in that reality. And we therefore can minister with compassion to those in our world and our age who find themselves having fallen grievously. And the whole context here of this chapter is not simply on this price of which I have been holding forth to you. It's in light of that price we are so called to live. But I think what Paul is doing, especially in this passage, is highlighting the reality we have been bought body and soul. And so he concludes here, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God bought the whole of you, every part of you and me. And he wants us to use every part of our existence for his glory. He wants to transform the whole of us. And that's the second thing we consider here that Paul is highlighting our body. The problems that Paul has been dealing with here in the church at Corinth, he has begun to address. He already has addressed the issue of the man living with his father's wife. He mentioned that they were going before each other and the courts and law. And he mentions, too, that there were various categories. I read that to you in verse 9 and 10. Categories of people who had been called out of that kind of culture in which Corinth, the port city, had been engaged in in their worship there in that temple and great immorality that existed at that place. Paul is highlighting especially Christ's purchase of their body. Look at verse 13. He says here, meats for the belly and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He's highlighting here for us the reality that the whole person, body and soul, has been purchased by Christ. And he is highlighting that in the context of sexual immorality especially. He is saying here, yes, We talk about eating, and this is a a natural urge we have for uh, satisfying our appetites and, and, and satisfying our hunger. But don't suppose that that same desire that you may have for inordinate things, sinful things, that that's permissible because your bodies are the Lord's, and the Lord is the bodies. Paul is going on to talk about this specifically when he mentions this relationship with with the harlot. He is highlighting this reality that sexual immorality is not just something that exists some way outside of the body. Looking at pornography and self-stimulation that people engage in is not simply something that happens without the body. It's something Paul is saying here that strikes at the very core of our being. 
And when he mentions here this act with the harlot, he is talking about this mysterious act and this area in which we've been created by God in a most intimate way as we become one. And Paul is saying, when you join yourself with another person like this, you're becoming one. That's designed for marriage, but it's a picture of Christ and his bride, you and Christ. And so immediately Paul says, flee fornication, because it's a sin against your own body. And remember, he says, this body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You have been bought with a price. You're not your own. Now, let's face the reality that Paul certainly faced as he was laboring in the church here. He labored there for 18 months. He worked with those who were engaged in all kinds of immorality as they came to faith in Christ and entered into that struggle of what it was to break free from this bondage. God can break free people in their sexual sins immediately and completely. That's possible, and he does that. But there are those also who, coming to faith in Christ, still have Inclinations still have their fleshly desires that need to be broken and subdued and put to death. And Paul knew this struggle, no doubt, that existed also among those at Corinth. Men and women who had come out of a culture saturated in the fleshly and bodily. And he worked with them and taught them what the Christian life ought to look like and ought to be. Now, as he heard of these various things that were going on there at Corinth, it seems also that some had taken the words of the Apostle Paul and that we can satisfy ourselves by eating meats, for example, that are, that are even offered to idols. He's going to address this, this later as well. And he's going to talk about how anything offered to an idol is nothing. We can eat that meat, but for the sake of the brother, we, we can refrain from doing so. But it seems there were those who had applied the same principle that we are free to do all things. He says in verse 12, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Seem to have applied somehow that logic to their inordinate, sinful bodily desires as well. And Paul is saying, all things, while they may be lawful to me in some respects, all things are not expedient. You have been set free so that you, with your whole person, can serve the Lord, can devote yourself to Christ and his service. Therefore, don't indulge yourself in fleshly lusts. Likely those who had lived in this culture had been so desensitized to sexual sin, they imagined that any other bodily urge that they had could be satisfied. It was okay. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. It's true. I'm free to eat meats. I'm I'm free to enjoy the creation that God has made. I'm free to enjoy games and hunting and music and art. But even in those things, Paul says, I will not be brought under the authority, under the power of any, I will not allow any of those things to distract me from this one calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, because I'm bought with a price. I am his. I belong to him. So I want to serve him with my whole being. 
And let's face it, we live in a Corinthian culture today. Fleshly focused culture. Everywhere, it seems we turn, we are confronted with this. Whether it be Facebook or advertisements or the news. It seems in many ways this world is focused on the body. But not the way Paul is talking about. The way in which we in this world see the focus is it's your body. And you can do with your body what you would like. So if you want to spend time with a person of the same gender, that's your choice. If you want to have an abortion, do that with your own body, that's your choice. If you want to overeat, it's, it's your body. If you want to change genetically uh, or, or change your gender, that, that's your body. That's what the world is, is teaching us about this, our bodies. So Paul is telling us here, no, we need a different view. Verse 13, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This goes far beyond the seventh commandment. This includes all areas of life. I will not, Paul says, be brought under the power of any, whether it's eating or any other area of life that affects my body. I will not be brought under its power because we have been bought for a purpose. Paul highlights that in Romans 6 when he talks about Your bodies were formerly instruments you used for wickedness, for unrighteous acts, for selfish pleasures. Now, you must use your bodies. It's reflecting really what's coming out of our heart and our being, our spirit. But you must use your bodies as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. That's because we are a whole person, body and soul. You know, it's common in our everyday life, and you've probably been brought up the same way I have. If you you go to your neighbor because your lawnmower broke and you borrow his, you probably return it back to your neighbor with a full tank of gas. Um, You want to bring back whatever you borrowed in better condition, if you will, than than you uh, borrowed it. A couple of years ago, I was working on my son's car, changing the brakes, and I borrowed our neighbor, elderly man, borrowed his C-clamp in order to push the piston back and the brakes, and uh, not realizing I needed to twist it, I cranked on the C-clamp, and it bent. It was ruined. You can't bend it back. The worst thing was, is he told me when he borrowed it to me, oh, these are my father-in-laws. He gave them to me. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So I looked on eBay. Sure enough, there's an exact replica of the same C-clamp. I ordered it. I needed to buy three of them to get one. But anyway, I brought them over to him, and I said, I'm sorry, this is what happened. I want to replenish it and give it in a same condition, a different clamp, but I'm sorry for what happened. If we do that with C-clamps, how much more are bodies? If we are the bride of Christ, which the scriptures tell us we are, how are we going to present our bodies before him on that day we are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb? 
He, Christ, bought his bride from head to toe. Every part, every passion, every thought, every moment of our time of existence is bought to be lived for him. What would happen if we would live this way? Wouldn't this revolutionize our way of thinking and the way we live in this present age? I suspect people may think we've lost our minds if we would live with a consciousness of, I'm bought, I belong to Christ, I am His, I'm living for Him. We're bought to glorify God, that's the purpose. Purpose we've been created and recreated. That means he's bought our eyes. What do you look at? What do you feed on with your eyes? What do you see? Your eyes were created to glorify God. David says, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and open my eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. Job says, I will not look upon a maid. Our eyes should be directed by faith to the cross where we see the price paid to redeem us, body and soul, to set us free. What about our hands? What messages have your hands typed or written? Messages of encouragement? Message of truth? or clicking on sites that would corrupt us in our bodies and in our minds? Do your hands, do my hands, give evidence we have been bought with the blood of the Son of God? Christ purchased your lips What comes forth from our mouth? Are words words of encouragement? Words of comfort, correction, building up, gentle love, confession, truth? Or words that would betray the one who bought us with such a price? Are we living free? Or are we living bondage. I once read of an early New Testament pastor who lived in Rome about 500 AD and slaves are being brought down from the area of England and and down into the Rome markets and he he was buying several of these young men as they were uh, coming into the slave trade and he, he would he would buy them and bring them to his own home and And he would then take off their shackles and their bonds. And he would say, I bought you not to enslave you or to become my servants in this sense, but I bought you to set you free. And if you will, I would like to have the time to teach you and to disciple you into Christ and to learn about the blessed Lord Jesus and study his word with me and and follow me as I follow Christ. Many of these young men stayed with him out of gratitude and eventually even returned to uh, the area of, of where they had come from as missionaries for Christ. 
Where did Christ find you enslaved and in bonds? And he purchased you and brought you out to set you free. Don't be enslaved again. This yoke of bondage, living for the body. But glorify God in your body. I'm going to leave you with three things that I was recently reading in a post that Jim Neuheiser had posted regarding a fallen pastor who had left the ministry but come to repentance, and he left these words of advice. He said, first of all, this fallen, restored uh, pastor um, said, ministry can be overwhelming and busy, and you tend to focus on others. He said, you can fall into a pattern of just working hard and working for the kingdom. But when it came down to it, he realized his motivation for being pure and holy was because he was a pastor, not because he loved God, realized he was bought with a price or devoted himself to his wife. Being a pastor had become his idol in his own heart. And so a lot of the motivation for pursuing holiness and staying with his wife and refraining from temptation came from the fact that he was a pastor, not because he was in a close communion with the Lord and in a good relationship with his wife. And because of this, he said, when trials came, He no longer had the correct motivation and he found himself drifting further and further away into sin. He had before in his early ministry devoted himself to never being alone with a woman, but later he relaxed that rule and found himself with other women and the relationship grew. He said, I never invested in my marriage or my walk with God. He started watching TV shows that sparked these kinds of thoughts in his heart. He did not, as Paul says in Romans 13, not make provision for the flesh. So brothers, the reason I feel compelled to bring this is because we all need to remind each other and urge each other to stay close to God and Christ. And to not live and indulge ourselves in the flesh. The purpose God saved you was to transform you and me to the bride, to the image of his son. But secondly, he said, he said, don't be overconfident in your ability to resist temptation. Just as this former practical theology professor had said, If you don't think you will be one of them, you most likely will be. And this is true from the warnings that God gives us. 1 Corinthians 10, Let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 2 Peter 3, Behold, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Hebrews uh, 3.13, Exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This former pastor said, I never would have imagined 
that I would have been one of those who had fallen. And yet, as time went on, he realized slowly he was drifting from the Lord and slowly he fell into sin. He had never went into these relationships imagining this was going to be the end. And so, dear brothers and sisters, let's have no confidence in the flesh. There's no strength in us. Our confidence is in the Lord. Were it not for his grace, who wouldn't fall? And so let us walk in the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. And don't be deluded to think that you are excluded. Find accountability partners. Have a good and open relationship with your wife. And stay close to Christ. Number three, he said, there is a need today to cry out in the church. We see that this sin has affected the church through, through the ages past. Today, that's coming more and more again into the foreground in the, the Roman Catholic Church and even Reformed and Presbyterian churches. And so there's a need for the church to be the church. The calling we have is to minister also to those who have been broken through these kinds of falls of various men in particular. But we also are called to minister to those who have fallen, who are increasing in number. And therefore, we must be open in the church to instruct and to teach openly about these things to our youth and the congregation as a whole. But part of this will fall on you. Many times when there are those who have fallen into these sins, such men have been lifted up and exalted on pedestals. Some of you have been given far greater talents and gifts than I have. But all of us can be tempted to be lifted up when God has blessed, particularly a ministry he's given us to do. Do never fall into the temptation of thinking of ourselves more than we ought to think. Once we are moved in that direction, we are more susceptible, I believe, to these fleshly temptations as well. Therefore, humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. We've been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. We're nothing in ourselves, but we're all in Him. I'm not here to stand above anyone today, but I speak to myself. You know the famous hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We need constantly to be refreshed with the living waters and to drink of Christ and to see what he's called us to. He says, you're not your own. You've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we come before thee. We pray that thou would watch over every one of us, everyone who has come through this institution, who will come through this place. Many of us have various struggles in various ways, whether this sin or that. And we need the Lord to watch us, protect us, and keep us. 
And help us in light of this glorious truth to consciously put to death sin and to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Bless us now in our time of discussion and prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.